welcome to the Earn Your Happy Podcast. I'm Lori Harder, founder of The Bliss Project, three-time fitness world champion, fitness expert, and cover model turned self-love junkie, lifestyle entrepreneur, and author. Each week, I'll bring you a guest or a thought that will help you bust through your fears, connect to your soul, and get focused and clear so you can elevate your life, business, and relationships. We don't wait until we're ready for someone to tell us we're good enough. We take what we want and we anoint ourselves. Get ready to earn, own, and unapologetically rock your happiness every single day. Are you with me? Here we go. Welcome back to the Earn Your Happy Podcast. I'm honored to have Jonathan Fields on the show today. He's a New York City dad, husband, entrepreneur, and award-winning author, and he founded his mission-driven media and education venture, Good Life Project. You guys, if you don't follow his podcast yet, it is called Good Life Project, and I'm telling you, he is the most beautiful mix of power and vulnerability, and this man just really knows how to dig deep and get to the root of of so many different questions and reasons and really talk about life and purpose. And his mission is truly to help people live a more meaningful, connected, vital life. And I just finished his book called How to Live a Good Life. And I couldn't get through it fast enough. It was so amazing. It's like, it's one of those books you just want to read over and over again. So you guys, let's jump right in today. Jonathan, I'm so incredibly excited to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm totally psyched to jam too. Oh my gosh. So you guys, I was just talking to him right before this because um, before I had this podcast, I really wanted to learn all about him and I have fallen in love with your podcast. So can you, (laughs) first I want you to be able to just tell people a little bit about your journey and how you got here. And then we're going to dive into, I don't know, a million different topics. So go for it. Yeah, I know. It's like with you and I, like what direction do we go (laughs) first? Um, I've had, um, I'll give you like the real thumbnail. I was the entrepreneur as a kid. I was, I also trained as a gymnast for the first about 18, 19, 20 years of my life. And then, um, and then completely abandoned that, went to school went to law school, became a lawyer, and then my body blew up on me, sent me to the hospital, and made me reevaluate a lot of things. And I kind of came full circle to these two loves from when I was younger. One is sort of wellness and fitness and entrepreneurship, and just like the bigger sort of what does it take to actually live well in the world. And and I began to build companies in this space. So I started up actually building a private fitness facility and grew that, sold that, and then ended up in um, Hell's Kitchen, New York City, where I, I, I ran a yoga center, um, and also taught, um, you know, with both of these places, I was, I didn't want to just own it. I wanted to actually be there serving people on the most fundamental level too, and just learn a ton. And that, that along the way, you know, the much more important stuff is I got married and, um, to an amazing woman and I'm a dad with a 15 year old daughter right now. And they're, they're the heartbeat. They're my everything. And so a lot of what I do now is, I, I sold that last company, and now we run something called Good Life Project, which is this really fun media and education venture. And I run it with my wife. We're partners. And um, and we're just building this awesome community. And at the same time, I write books and I speak. And, um, yeah, I just I, – I have fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, 
and really just I'm motivated to really dive into this bigger question of what is, what are we here for, you know? Um, and on a really granular level, how can we how can we move through our lives feeling like we're completely lit up, you know, like engaged, doing something profoundly meaningful, deepening into awesome relationships, and completely optimizing our state of mind and body. And that's been a lot of my exploration for a long time now. Mm, wow, you honestly, there are so many things there that I want to explore further. But I love the fact that you said. Um, now you just want to have fun or you just have fun and this is what you do, right? You put out great stuff to help people lead a better life. But was it always fun? No. And, and you know, truth is on a day-to-day basis, are there sucky days? Yeah, of yeah. course. <laughs> you know, it's like there's no Pollyanna. Like, yes, life is just fabulous. And um, there are good days or bad days. But on the whole, like if you stop me on any given day and you're like, are you living a good life? My My answer would be, Oh yeah. Um, you know, and you know, it, even given the fact that any given moment there could be conversations or just things that I'm struggling with or dealing with that are challenging, but on the whole, you know, I'm I'm surrounded by people I can't get enough of. Um, mm-hmm. in service of a community of people that I actually like I care about and doing things that light me up. And, um, you know, whether it's writing or speaking or creating or making art, you know, I'm actually, I'm taking a painting class right now, which is pretty awesome. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, yeah, so it's the opportunity to on the, on the whole spend the better part of my energy doing stuff that, that really just kind of lights me up with people I can't get enough of. That's, that's what it's about. So have you always been curious about life and about people or did this come because you felt like maybe there had to be more or what was that? You know, it's really funny you asked that. I was I was trying to trace back this thread as far as I could remember recently. And um and what I remember, it it probably started earlier, but what I do remember is being in college and having this deep fascination with um with psychology and mm-hmm. uh, and now, now by the way you can tell that I'm in New York City as you hear that like the sirens in the I background. love it. <laughs> um, so uh and and I remember that I was actually really close to majoring in psychology because I was fascinated by performance psychology in particular and for some reason I split off and I didn't do that I can't remember why but I remember even you know in my late teens is probably when I got super curious about just about human potential, about the way that we bring ourselves to the world and probably also seeing that so many people leave so much potential, so much life on the table in the name of being a quote grown up. You know, you kind of step away because the responsible thing to do is to a certain extent suck it up. Um, And I bought into that for, you know, a chunk of time too. I think we all do. That's just, it's what culture and society tells us. And then Um, and then at a certain point I was like, you know what, that's, it's just not what I'm here for. Um, and, uh, and I began the process of sort of shifting gears. Mm. So in that moment where you kind of like start waking up and you start shifting into saying, that's not what I'm here for. How does that show up? Is it, was it a pain for you? Was it your back was against the wall? Yeah. So for me, it was actually like real physical pain because I was 
probably the, the first really big disruptive moment was I was practicing law in New York City in a, in a huge firm, working insane hours under ridiculous amounts of stress, barely sleeping, not, e- not even thinking about exercising, eating horrible food. Mm. And, um, and my body, my immune system essentially shut down and this huge infection brewed just like in the middle of my body and literally ate a hole through my intestine from the outside in and oh sent God. me into surgery. So, and I actually, like I was in excruciating pain for days, but I ignored it because we were on this big deal. And that's just what you did. Like, you know, we were paid ridiculous amounts of money to do the impossible and to be perfect. And there was this like, that's what I'm here for. And um, so we like, we finished this deal and we hit submit and I, I just kind of collapsed and I went home and um, passed out. A couple hours later, I went to my doctor. I was like, something's wrong. He looks at me, does a quick exam. He turns a little bit white, which is not what you want to see no. happen with, with no. your doctor. <laughs> and he kind of like takes me by the hand whisks me around to like an infectious disease guy, another guy. Within hours, I'm checked into the hospital mm-hmm. and getting prepped for surgery. So for me, yeah, you know, like the, the combination of that and then on top of that, kind of recovering and having a little bit of time to catch my breath and realizing that I was working so hard and giving up so much of what was important to me in the name of something I actually didn't want because I didn't have any interest in being a partner in a law firm. And, and the deeper problem even was that I didn't really have an interest in being a lawyer. Mm. And so for me, that was the big wake-up call. And it, it, it took some pretty severe pain to sort of knock some sense into me. Um, and, uh, but that was the beginning of my way out. And, and from, I, I knew that my time would be limited in that path at that moment in time. But, uh, but I also knew that my next move was going to be back into the health and fitness and entrepreneurship world, and I was going to take a huge hit financially. So I stayed. I went back, but I adjusted my expectations. I changed the way I was working, and I saved a big chunk of money because I knew I was going to need it to move into this next phase. Mm, wow. Okay. So I just want to back up a bit because I think this is so interesting because so many of us do it. Um, so you were you said that you were a gymnast, so obviously crazy into the world of fitness and bettering your body and yourself. And then, and then you did yoga as well, or you had a studio before you were a lawyer? No, this was after. Okay. This was after. Yeah. So after I left the law is when I moved back into the health and fitness and and entrepreneurship world and kind of started to marry them. So my, my Mm. first move was, was after being a lawyer was making 12 bucks an hour as a personal trainer. And that that was a big blow to my ego as, as much as anything else. But you know what? I also, there was a certain sense of grace Mm -hmm. because I'm like, you know what? I don't care what I'm getting paid. I'm getting the opportunity to learn a completely new industry from the ground up. It's my, this is the cost of my education and I'm okay with that. Mm. And, and I wanted to do it from the ground up, not start in management because I just really want to understand the psychology of how do I serve on the most basic level and, and also what's broken. Like how do we do it better? And, and I learned really quickly there's, there are massive issues in the fitness industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I, from there I start to get all sorts of different certifications and then I opened my first facility I, and uh, grew that. And then so after I sold that company, um, that's when I took a bit of time off and got started to really get fascinated by yoga mm. and bring it into my own practice. And then after that is when I opened the yoga center in, in New York City. Oh, that's amazing. So, so many of us can get completely caught up in the fear around, you know, the fact that you took 
less money to do something that you love. And while maybe you had a savings, you know, so many people may have a savings, but still don't do it. Or maybe they don't have a savings at all. So it stops them, right? So we continue to live that life where, you know, a lot of people who may have had the same, somewhat of the same story as you or massive health issues, they go back again. And what, how did you um, deal with maybe overcoming that fear when I say overcoming really just you know working through it working with it yeah you know what I actually so I I got my because I knew I was going to start at that most basic point when I moved from law into fitness and entrepreneurship yeah. um, I went and I actually got my first certification to train when I was still practicing law and part of that was I wanted to convince myself that I could get back into it, that I could study, that I was good enough to have some sort of basic qualification. And um, so that gave me a little bit of confidence. You know, it kind of showed me that I could do this. And it also reconnected me with the fact that when I was younger, when I was a gymnast, it wasn't just gymnastics that I was fascinated by. I was absolutely obsessed with biomechanics, functional anatomy, kinesiology, um, and and exercise physiology. And I was like this, the weird guy who would just take like a, you know, a 600 page kinesiology manual and just read it on the beach because it was fun to me. I was just that <laughs> fascinated by yeah. it. And I was like, this is just really cool. And it reconnected that, that part of me. And I was like, you know what, I can, not only can I do this, but it's actually, it's lighting me up again. Mm. Like it's, it's making me remember that this was actually really cool. And the ability to figure out how to build something around that became really interesting to me. So it, it was still scary. Um, and, but I, I think that there's actually a smarter way to do it. I, I, I'm curious like how, how you feel about this too, mm -hmm. but I, what I've learned about myself is I'm wired in a way where I'm probably more risk tolerant than the average bear. Mm -hmm. So I was willing to kind of just like, you know, like make a clean break and, dive into this thing and have faith that I'd figure it out. But having now spent years talking to so many people who have made similar really big shifts, what I've seen is that the way that it tends to work much more effectively for most people is you start just doing something on the side a little bit and you build a little bit more and a little bit more, a little bit more. And, you know, you take the, you know, if you're working nine to five, you take the five to nine and you start to do that other thing. And, and over time, you start to realize, oh, hey, I'm decent at this. I really enjoy it. I'm starting to build a clientele. Um, you know, it's actually growing to a point where I could do this. And usually one of two things happens. Either it becomes successful enough that you can sort of make a lateral move right into it, or it starts to show a trajectory. Mm -hmm. And what it tells you is that if you gave it 100% of your energy, it would actually get to that place, but it's probably not going to get there until you do that. Mm. And and at that point, you have to make the decision to kind of shift over. Just, I'm curious what was like, mm. what? how did that work for you? You know what? It was pretty much the exact same. And I, I find it so interesting that you say you have a, um, you know, a, a higher tolerance for risk and really, I've always thought that. And at the same sense, I'm like, I think I have a really low tolerance for, um, pain when my soul huh. is speaking to me. So I'm like, I can't take it. It hurts so bad that I'm willing to take this risk because yeah. I can't handle this constant scream. Like, what are you doing? This is not what's making you happy. <laughs> so for yeah. me, I did it the same way. I really, I, you know, I would work in whatever 
random job I had taken because my husband's job was moving us all around. And I would kind of work on the side, whether it was uh, building my online business or doing certifications, different things that were going to give me more confidence to be able to take that final leap as I was doing different things. So really it's kind of the same thing. It's like building up that confidence and knowing that if at least I'm taking action, I can somewhat quiet that bit of anxiety and quiet that bit of fear because I'm taking action in it. So that was, that was, that's really aligned with what was happening for me. And I think for, you know, for a lot of us, your, your own baby steps start to serve as proof that what you're thinking about is possible. Mm. And that's, you know, I think seeing other people succeed, it can be really helpful because, you know, you start to believe, well, okay, so I know it's doable, but to start to believe that you can actually do it, my sense is that the only thing that really moves the needle there is that you start to try it in little bits and pieces and start to experience these little tastes of success mm. in your own life. And that's where your brain starts to go, huh? this just might work. Mm, Yes. And you know, I really want to bring in your book here because I've been reading it for the last week, week and a half, I don't know, maybe two weeks, but it's been, it's been my (laughs) daily, uh, part of my daily life for the last couple of weeks here. And I'm absolutely loving it. This is for sure something I'm going to go back to all the time just because I love reading it. Like I really love your stories and just, it's so great. And it's such a beautiful reminder. Um, It's almost like I'm just walking with you and having a conversation. So, and that is like absolutely the way that I love to read, but it's also so great for really taking action in a way that you enjoy and in the places that you enjoy. So I want to chat about that because I think that you broke it down in such a beautiful way. Um, you talk about really looking at your life in three different ways in vitality, connection, and contribution and filling these buckets and seeing what buckets are empty and how you need to fill them. Where did you come up with that? Is this something that you do in your own life and you pay attention to each individual area? Is it thought about? Yeah. You know, it's interesting because, um, I do. It's. I think it's become just so embodied, just in the lens that I wear with my life. That um, it's. It's not even a conscious thing at this point. I just mm-hmm. kind of sense like where what needs a little bit of love. But the idea behind the buckets was, you know, the the simple fact that the truth is we've 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 known what it takes to live a good life for the better part of a couple thousand years, if not longer. So the problem isn't that it's not a knowledge problem. It's an action problem and. And what I start to realize is the reason that we don't take action is because um, we're not like we've never been given a really simple model, a framework that allows us to just hear it once, um, remember it for life, and then it guides our behavior. So I was I was really seeing so many patterns emerge after having spent so many years having conversations with incredible people and just living and building my own stuff. And I was like, how do I convey this in a way where it's so simple? You hear it once and it's really actionable. You know, I didn't want to just put more information into the world. I wanted to create something that would actually let you wake up in the morning and take action and it would change your behavior or guide your behavior. So the idea of the buckets just kind of came over time and I started to test it with different people that we were working with in different programs. And it was making these really big differences in people's lives. And it wasn't complicated. There was no in-depth studying. There was no, it was really simple, almost deceptively simple. You know, mm-hmm. so the idea is that your life is made up of three buckets, connection, contribution, and vitality. The connection bucket is all about your relationships. And that's between you and yourself, uh, intimate others, close friends and family, 
community, and if it's important to you, however you might identify source or God or just something bigger than just you. Vitality is about optimizing your state of body and mind. And I don't talk about them as two separate things because to me, it, it's a fallacy. You know, you can't separate them. They're one feedback mechanism. And contribution is how you bring yourself to the world. Like, what are you, how are you contributing to the world? Um, and it's really built around meaning and a, and a sense of really standing in your potential. Like, you, you're, like the strengths and the beliefs that define you are just being completely and utterly used every day as you bring yourself to the world. Mm. And, and it's really, you know, so you think you wake up every day and you're like, hey, listen, you know, my job is to spend a little bit of time um, filling my connection bucket, my vitality, and my contribution, and and then doing a really quick scan and saying which feels like it really needs it needs a shot of something today, and making sure that you make that a priority. And what I found was that the model just really resonated with people, and it was so simple and straightforward, and it would really it would help you actually figure out what to do. Um, and then the idea with the rest of the book is. I don't, I don't want to leave that to chance. Let me start you with, you know, a whole bunch of just days of things to do. And then from there, you know, you can probably take it, take it on your own. I love that because it really brings up, you know, we hear so much talk about, are you balanced? Are you balanced? And I'm like, yeah. what does balance really look like? But when you can scan your life and say, what do I need right now? Um, that That's such a really, it's a beautiful direct question because, I really don't know. I think life, I think life goes in seasons and sometimes, you know, we can be in a big, maybe I just came out of a big business push and all of a sudden I realized that my maybe health bucket is starting to get empty. So for me, it's like, okay, business is good right now. I can kind of go over here for a while and really start feeling this because that's really what I'm craving. So for me, I don't really know what that balance looks like. I just know what questions for me get the right answers. And I think this gets such great answers it, directly for what you need that day. So is there a certain question that you ask yourself every day just to see how you're feeling or is there a way that you start your day? Yeah. Well, I mean, I have, I have a morning ritual, um, and, and increasingly an evening ritual. And, um, so, and I keep changing it because I've, I feel like part of my job, um, is to constantly test new things in yes. different rituals <laughs> to see how I feel about it and then share it. And, um, so, but, the, but the bedrock, the anchor for me is I'll wake up and I'll do a, you know, what I call a quick snapshot of the buckets very often. And I'll just, I'll do that literally a 10 second scan. Like, okay, What's the thing that really needs some love today? And then in my mind, I'll think of a single thing that'll be the most important thing to do to fill one of those buckets. It could be really simple. I mean, if if I've been working like crazy and I feel like my connection bucket's feeling a little bit low, I'll make sure that I reach out to my sister that day and just mm -hmm. set aside 20 minutes to like to just hang out on the phone. Mm -hmm. You know, um, and then but the but the the centerpiece of my morning um, routine and it has been for years is is a seated mindfulness practice to me. That has been such a game-changing thing in my life, um, and it because it wakes you up. It wakes you up to actually start to see what's really happening and what's not happening. To understand how you can really change the story and really change the way that you experience life, even if the circumstances themselves aren't what you want them to be, and it lets you it lets you stop yourself when you're just you kind of fall into this massively reactive mode where you're just responding. It's like you're being pummeled by everybody else's agenda in the world mm -hmm. and you feel like you open your eyes, you know, and you spend all day maniacally busy, but which is not sort of like 
an, an absolute bad thing. But when you're busy reacting to everyone else's agendas rather than being intentional about what matters, then you get destroyed. Um, and mindfulness practice really lets me zoom the lens out and just kind of almost like look down at myself and say, huh, like, are you being intentional? Are you being deliberate? Or are you just reacting to a whole bunch of stuff that's coming your way? And, um, and that's been to me a really powerful practice. Um, I'm curious, I can't remember. Do you have a, um, any sort of meditative practice also? I do. Yeah. I was actually just thinking about, um, (laughs) I was thinking about this morning and I was just about to ask you about your this morning mindfulness practice and what that looks like if you could take us down that road, but I'll just tell you quick this morning. Um, you know, I, I'm in kind I'm in, I'm in a busy week right now. I have a speaking, uh, travel and speaking coming up this Thursday, um, through Sunday. So I'm preparing my talk is not yet finished. (laughs) Yeah, I know that's (laughs) true. So, you know, you have everything else before that leading up to it and you're like, where is this going to be? What am I going to do? And then I'm like, I actually know, I have enough time. I know there's always enough time. I know that at that point, like this morning, I, I did my meditation. And I just said a, a long prayer and I said, I know I have the time. I know that I need to just, you know, be aware that everyone else's agenda is not the agenda that I am choosing to be on this week or that I need to be on to accomplish what I have to do. But really, like you just said, like it's almost like going up and, and looking from you know, a wider lens and just seeing everything and realizing, oh, I've got more than enough time to go from this, I've been saying this, this beautiful thing to this beautiful thing <laughs> to the next beautiful thing. I love <laughs> it's that. It's been That's keeping awesome. me sane. So take us to your morning, maybe this morning or a morning um, this last week. Yeah. So, you know, I want to take you to this morning because it was an imperfect morning practice. And I think it's actually important to talk about that. Yes. So on the vast majority of days, I wake up way before the rest of my family. I'm like an early riser. I, I don't wake up to an alarm clock. I'm, my, my body's just wired to be up really early. I wander out to the kitchen. Um, the night, my morning routine actually starts the night before because I set up my coffee maker so that it, there's water in it, it's ready to go. I set up like, you know, I grind beans freshly in the morning and it's set to exactly how much I need. I grind the beans, I put it in, I hit on so that that's brewing while I go and sit. And then I walk over and have a seated meditation practice where I sit for 25 minutes and I use a meditation app, um, Insight Timer, which is a great tap. It, it, it's not a guided meditation, it's purely a timer. Mm. And I have it set so that it chimes every five minutes, just like a singing bowl chime. Oh, cool. And and then, so it just gives me a sense of where I am in my practice. And then I just sit and it's a really gentle, breath-based mindfulness practice. And after 25 minutes, there are three little chimes. And at the end of that, um, I'll usually do just a short offering, um, sort of a modified um, loving-kindness meditation and and then I open my eyes and just kind of move slowly into the day. And usually it's my, my daughter's waking up around then and my wife and she's kind of getting ready for school and I spend a little bit of time with them. And then I go into sort of primary creative time. But I want to talk about this morning because it didn't work that way. <laughs> and and I, th- I think it's really important to, to mm-hmm. like talk about reality. You know, the vast majority of the days it works that way. Today... I was up late last night watching the debates like so many other people in this country and then watching the commentary and getting annoyed and frustrated like so many other people. (laughs) Um, So I ended up going to bed later, which means I also woke up later than I normally do. And um, which means, and then I got about 11 minutes into my, my seated mindfulness practice 
And then um, my daughter got up and then some other stuff was happening. I'm like, you know what? I can finish off the next 14 minutes and miss you know, like a quick hello to, with my daughter in the morning, giving her a hug and a kiss and sending her off. Or I can stop my practice. I can spend a bit of time you know, before she hustles off to school for the day. And then I can come back and finish my practice. And that's exactly what I did because I'm like, you know what? The thing that's most important to me in my life is, is my family. And these little touch points are really important to me. And reality sometimes means that you have to adapt your practices and rituals on the fly to adjust to what you hold most dear in life. So she left. And then I went back to the couch. You know, like I unpaused my app. I kind of took a few breaths to just get myself back into a nice calm place. And then I finished my practice. Mm. And, um, and I could have just blown off the rest of it. But I'm like, you know what? This matters to me. And if it means that, that the rest of the day gets pushed back a little bit, that's okay because this is the thing that allows the rest of the day to unfold in the way that it needs to. Mm. So the idea is you got to forgive yourself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Forgive yourself the fact that there, there, there's fantasy life and then there's reality and, and that's okay. You do your best. I was just going to say, wow, that sounds like a forgiveness practice um, that you had to practice in order to do that with your other practice. Because all I can hear is so many people, you know, I have a lot of different groups going on. And right now I had just launched a basically like a fitness kind of challenge group. And I would say the people who have the most success are really focusing on their forgiveness practice because Mm. it's so much less about, did you do it? Did you do it? Did you do it? Or, you know, or I didn't do it. I skipped today. I feel horrible. Like more people spend more time and more energy in the thought of how horrible they feel about breaking a practice than just saying, oh, well, and like, I forgive myself and that's okay. I actually enjoyed this time that I did this. You know, we're robbing ourselves of so much time and so many beautiful things. Like when you said you got to just enjoy those moments with your daughter, it's that moment of deciding to let go and actually being present and enjoying that sacred moment with your daughter, you know, where you, you could just be there. So what did that take to get there? I know this is a whole other conversation, but yeah, um, <laughs> a, a whole lot of frustration and you know, like being maniacal and rigid and saying, no, this is the practice. This is the way it has to happen. But also, you know what, um, having teachers, having good teachers. So when I, I came to my practice very much on my knees, I was moving through a really difficult time. And and I found the practice as something that really brought me back to a place of, of calm and grace and ease and, and equanimity. And then it brought me from, you know, from really struggling to baseline, then from baseline to really being able to flourish. Um, and along the way, you know, I, I'm very fortunate to have some um, incredible friends who are also beautiful teachers. And I would just, you know, so I wouldn't, it wasn't like I went and I found my teacher and, you know, we spent, we had weekly meetings together, which can work great. I, I'm very fortunate. So I was able to just have this more casual relationship. But so somebody like Susan Piver, who is this beautiful Shambhala meditation teacher, and she's a dear friend of mine. And I remember going to her early on and I said, look, I know the instructions, but just, you know, help me a little bit. And if I was having a day where I was kind of struggling and, you know, it just didn't feel right and I was having, I, I would just spend some time with her I'd be, and just ask her questions. And I think it's really important to have, to have access to people like that, even if it's not one-on-one, but in a group setting or just regular access to a teacher, because they can really, they can really help you adapt the quote teaching to the reality of your life in a way where if you're, you know, just sort of like taking information, Mm -hmm. 
sometimes we don't know exactly how how to make that interact with our lives in a way where it's actually we can do it and we can keep doing it for life and to me having access to a teacher and 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 also a community of people who are sort of going along for the ride um, those two things can be just so helpful in allowing you to not just start a practice but but um develop it over time and like you said forgive yourself being you know being human along the way Beautiful, because I, I really love what you've done uh, with your book as well, because I, I love building tribes, because for me, I look back on, you know how you said you, you try to pinpoint areas so that we can share and teach, because clearly that's what we love to do. We learn and then we're like, okay, how can I, yep. how can I teach this? Where did I get my best stuff? How did I break yeah. through this? How did I, you know, get over whatever I felt like before? Um, and I think so much of it is mentors, reading, learning books, community, tribes. So um, I love in your book how much you offer to people as far as tapping into a community and really um, just sharing from your own life. I think that is so powerful. I really love how you talk about um, just connection and also that you dove into love languages and working with your wife and all of, <laughs> yeah, all that, of was... that. I want to ask you about that because I work with my husband. So I want to hear all about that. Yeah. And it's interesting. There, this is the most personal book. I mean, it's the most actional book I've written. It's mm -hmm. also the most personal book I've written by a huge margin to the extent where there are there are a number of points in the book where I had to get permission from people to include <laughs> include yeah. stories because it wasn't just about me, you know. And I and I can't do that. I can't tell other people's stories unless they're they're down with it. And there's nothing negative. Like I'm not shaming or you know. Mm -hmm. But still, it was I was revealing intimate things about not just my life but other people who are close to me. And uh, yeah, it it was weird um, to be honest with you going there. But in the end, felt really good. And um, because. I think uh, if I'm asking people to get real with themselves and to be vulnerable with themselves and I'm not modeling that in some way, then I feel like it kind of reads as a bit disingenuous. So I think it, it felt like it was kind of important for me to to go to that place. And and in terms of um, working and building a company with my wife, it's awesome. Mm. Um, and I'll tell you in the same breath, it is absolutely not for everybody. Um, you know, we happen to have this, you know, a great relationship. We're married for a long time. And um, we've, we've kind of worked on and off, even when we've had different businesses and different companies and different jobs over the years. We've always, we've helped each other with different things. And we started working together in Good Life Project. There was never a time where we were like, okay, Let's, let's sit down and have a conversation. Like, are we going to work together or aren't we? I started the company and I was working and we were growing. And my wife, Stephanie, just started seeing things that I needed help with, things that needed to get done that she happens to be amazing at. And she just started helping. And over time, you know, she started working more and more and more. And then um, to the point where, you know, like now we're partners in the business. And we have really different skill sets, you know, so our competencies are very different in a way that's super complementary. And we're also, we're, our, our, you know, our personalities and um, are, are just sort of, we're wired in a way where we, we really like to be around each other. We love to be with each other um, all day, every day. And, um, and so we're, I think we're fortunate in that way and it works really well for us. But it's interesting. I'm curious whether you've had this question. We've been asked many times whether we would do some sort of program or workshop on, you know, building a business with your partner in life. 
And we've kind of said no, because we're like, honestly, we don't really know what that formula looks like. Mm. We just know that what we're doing, you know, like in this moment works for us. Mm. We get that all of the time, all yeah, of the, yeah. like all of the time. And it's just not, we're not there yet because we're still, yeah. I think a lot like you, we're still trying to figure out exactly what that is because we don't know if there's a map yet. We have an idea of what generally can really make us function really well. There's certain rituals and things that we do daily, um, you know, but we're still really cultivating that as well. But it does really make me curious. In fact, I've been wanting to do almost like a regular podcast with him monthly just to start talking about it um, mm. because I just thought uh, like the best stuff comes from just conversations with him and I and with people, right? You podcast, oh, so, totally. you know, and just you're a really you love people. So, um, but wouldn't that be fun to kind of try to figure it out and just ask different questions, like just throw it different would. questions at each other? Yeah, no, it would be totally fun. <laughs> I mean, I think, you know what, one of my concerns is I, I wonder how replicable it really is or how much it's really just about, you know, two people just happening to come together in a way where it just, you know, the blend of skills and abilities and demeanor, it just really sinks really well. So I'm, mm-hmm. I haven't gone all that deep into it, but I guess that's really my curiosity, how much of it is really sort of systematizable. But um, yeah, now, now mm. you're, planting the, you're planting the seed again a little bit, so who knows, maybe I'll <laughs> sort of dive into it a little bit more. My maybe brain, we'll, if you we'll, could see the we'll thought bubbles notes. right now, I was like, <laughs> hmm, but what about this or that? Oh, that's interesting. I'm right, like, Lori, right. stop it. It's like another squirrel right now, but I love it. Like, it's so interesting to me because we can always fill in the gaps though you know yeah you can always fill in the gaps and agree I I feel like our relationship works so well and maybe you'll agree with this because it's him and I have agreed to grow together so Mm. it's kind of like always this agreement that no matter where we're at we're agreeing to at least see and learn from whatever the other person is trying to see or talk about or learn themselves or grow in and there's also that I don't know, we could go down this road forever, but it's like this agreement that we're always going to take a look at what the other person is is doing and also go and do things together so we always have those common interests, you know? Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. Mm. Okay, so I was also, this is funny, I was in, in bed last night and I was like, Chris, what's your love language? Let's really make sure I know what your love love language is. And we talk about it before because a lot of people around us love to talk about different love languages. But it's funny because we, you, your wife and myself um, are super similar. And also you and him are so similar. So I was Mm. seeing the exact exact things. I was like, this is awesome. Um, So yeah, that's a super fun part of this book. And I don't think I've said the title yet, but it's how to live a good life. And there's so many great things I want to um, cover before uh, this conversation has to close, which um, I'm going to be sad when that happens. But anyway, okay. (laughs) So you talk Mm. about um, dialing in to source, higher power, um, God, whatever that is to you. And I truly feel like I, I can't talk about having a good life to anyone or be being happy, earning your happy, whatever you believe that is without talking about source, higher power, something bigger than we are. So can I ask you when maybe what was some of the first experiences that made you know that you were connected to something bigger? 
Yeah, you know, it's a really interesting question because I, I was not brought up um, religious at, at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know it's like you, you almost had the, the extreme opposite experience for me in terms of sort of like interaction with faith as a kid. So I was, I was brought up um, relatively agnostic where um, I was, uh, A.J. Jacobs has this awesome line. He's like, he said, he said, I'm Jewish in the way that Olive Garden is Italian. And, um, <laughs> and, and so, so, That's so good. It, it's like one of my favorite lines ever. He's, he's brilliant. Um, so it's kind of the same way with me. And, uh, so it wasn't really until later in life. It probably, I think probably <laughs> when I started to, when I became a dad, I think I really just started asking questions more. And then right around that same time, I started really exploring a lot of Eastern philosophy and Eastern tradition and Buddhism, and which is not built around the concept of God so much as, as it's built around the concept of oneness as, you know, this, this idea that, um, you know, there but for God's grace go I without using the word God in the sentence. And, and if, if the word God resonates to somebody, that's awesome. You know, however you want to define it, you know, and in the yoga world, there's this idea of the Akashic field where it's this sort of almost like energetic etheric field that, that where there's an overlay, like this is like a fabric of common energy that connects us, that weaves in between and through each of us. And it's, it's funny because I've always been this person who's, I'm kind of very science-based. I'm like, show me the science, show me the science. And I think what started to happen is through becoming a dad and then through just getting far enough into life where I would experience things and know them to be true and know that there's a deeply meaningful connection between me and others and a sense of responsibility and a sense of like generative ease that happens. Um, but not being able to ever point to something scientific but just kind of knowing, like I started to, I think, just open more to the possibility that there's, there's something bigger. Um, in my mind, like I, I don't, I don't use the word God, mm-hmm. um, but just it's this sense that um, there's a bigger community. There's something bigger. There's a, there's a bigger connection that exists among humans and maybe beyond humans, just among all beings, that matters. Um, I, I don't know exactly how it works. I don't know the details. I don't know the laws or the dogma or the doctrine, but I have a sense that we're all part of something bigger than us. And, um, and that we have, we both benefit from that. And we also have a responsibility to it, um, you know, to behave in a way that's, that's kind and compassionate and, and ethical. Um, and, yeah, and so it's it's really kind of evolved in a very organic way without focusing too much on it. But I think a lot of the genesis was right around the time that it became a dad, which which was also the same time that I started to really dive much more deeply into uh, Eastern traditions and philosophy. So, what does it feel like for you when you feel connected? Um, I think probably the only way I can describe it is tapped in. Mm. Um, like there's just sort of a sense of flow Mm. and I don't have to be doing something, but you know what it feels like? Um, it feels like grace. Mm -hmm. It feels like there's a sense of grace and ease, Mm. um, that is there. And I mean, I don't feel that on a persistent basis. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Especially I'm a New Yorker. So that's really hard to come by (laughs) a lot of times. Um, we, we don't take waiting on lines all that gracefully, um, no. <laughs> but, uh, 
you know, but but you get moments of it. And where I tend to feel it maybe more than anything is um, just doing things that would just probably like these ordinary moments, but with people that I love and also in nature, in natural environments. For me, the place that I, if I'm going to go somewhere to get that tapped in sense, it's generally in nature. I grew up and the end of my road was a beach and the end of the, of another road was woods and just, mm, um, wow. so those are the places I would go to just kind of find that, find that, that experience. And, mm. and to this day, that's, that's still the same thing. Um, one of the reasons I live where I live in, in New York City is because two blocks in one direction is the Hudson River and three blocks in the other direction is Central Park. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like I've, I've recreated those two options in my in my adult life. Oh, I love Central Park, by the way. Yeah. I literally, like whenever we go there, it's it's our daily starter to go and do a run in there. And last time I was there, I found this like little trail that goes up by this waterfall. I don't even know where I was. Yeah. Um, but I was there like, how am I in the city right now? It's amazing, right? There are all sorts of hidden trails when you really get into it um, that you could literally feel like you've just completely stepped out and you're somewhere like just lost in the woods. Oh, it was magical. I'm not it, seriously. It was one of the most magical moments of my life because it was also when the is it apple blossoms or cherry blossoms there? I'm not sure which um, ones. Yeah, I'm not sure which either. Oh, they're these gorgeous pink flowers, and they the whole trees were completely um, blossomed, but they were just starting to come off, like literally all that day. So as the wind blew, it would just just like envelop you in these pink petals, and they were all oh, on the nice. ground. And I was like, this is the most magical day, and I am in this, just the dichotomy of being surrounded, like I could see the massive buildings along with this super zen moment, and just yeah. how beautiful it is to be able to create that, and but choose to create it, right? Because I could have focused yep. on like, ah, it's crazy here, or you can, you can really go in and say, okay, let's create this moment. How important is it for you to create those moments daily, or what do you, what do you feel that you, have you figured out what you need to feel really grounded? Yeah. I mean, for for me, being intentional is so important about pretty much everything, you know? So I was, I I weave that into my day all day long and the way that I work and the way that I live and the way that I move. So I had a, had a meeting with somebody yesterday and, but instead of just, you know, like having a meeting somewhere at an office or even at a cafe, I do almost all of my meetings as walking meetings outside Love that. You know, so I met him downstairs at my apartment and we walked three blocks over and we spent an hour and a half walking in the Rambles, like in the woods in Central Park. And we had great conversation about business and all sorts of other stuff. And um, and at the same time, we're moving our bodies, you know, so we're actually you know, doing something really healthy for our bodies and our minds. And we're exposing ourselves to nature. We're like we're extracting ourselves from the madness of the city all around us. And to me... Yeah, the the ability to just really be intentional, and people ask me all the time, you know, to to for chunks of my time, and pretty much any time I say yes, weather permitting, I'll do it in a way that lets me be outside and lets mm. me be moving because that's sort of honoring my commitment to um, to take care of myself, um, and and plus the fact that I also know that if somebody's looking for my advice. What I've learned is my brain actually works way better when I'm moving than when I'm static. Mm-hmm. So they're actually getting better output from me doing it. Um, 
so creating those moments, I think, is just, it's become kind of a way of life for me, is I build a lot of structure into my life, into the way I live and the way I work, to just allow them to happen. And a lot of it is because I've made the decisions in advance. So, like, you know, it's automatic for me. If somebody says, can I have some of your time? I'm going to be in New York. You know, my, my automatic response is, you know, like, we can walk and talk between this time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not even a matter of, you know, like, whether we're going to sit somewhere. And if the person doesn't want to, you know, if, you know, if somebody's physically challenged or something like that, of course I'll adapt. But, um, you know, my, I, I've sort of made a lot of the decisions in advance so that, um, you know, I can, I can honor them as they come up. Mm. Okay. That's amazing because I, so I feel like my best answers have come when I'm moving obviously. Yeah. (laughs) And there's a, I was just reading not too long ago, but I can't remember which president it was, but it was whenever there was some massive, um, you know, huge catastrophe that would happen or any problem that he wanted to solve, he'd always go for a walk or he'd take the, another leader or another president of another country or whatnot, um, on a walk because they said so many better answers come through. And that's so true. And either Chris and I have been either arguing or we have something big in our business that just feels like it's, you know, we can't breathe and it's consuming our life. We'll take it on a walk. So I always take my issues on a walk. And at the end, there's so much less. It's like, you've moved it through your body. You've kind of allowed yourself to feel it. Um, that's really powerful. And I love what you do and being so intentional because, uh, you know, you only have a certain amount of time in the day and you know that you need to move. And you also know that that's probably where your best ideas and thoughts come from. So it's just working that in. Um, so you have more time for different things that you want in your life. I know so many people are trying to, you know, fit in maybe friendships, connection and their workouts and their job and their family. It's like, how can we combine those more? You know, that's what I like to do. I like to have dates while I'm doing my workouts or going for a walk. And that's just been a great way for me to not only connect and build, um, you know, tribe or business or whatever that is, but great relationships. I'm telling you, it's so good. You know, I totally agree. You know, it's interesting too. And I found this with men more than women. And it's funny, I heard this phrase years ago and I really started to understand it um, more recently, which is, and who knows if it's really true or not, but this has just been my experience, which is that, um, women often talk face to face, men often talk shoulder to shoulder. Mm. And I think it may be because maybe men are are very often less comfortable with intimacy, with mm-hmm. gen, like sitting down for the purpose of having a conversation that's going to be real and vulnerable. But we're much better sort of like if we're side by side doing a task or working on a project or playing sports, you know, where we're not just sitting there looking in each other's eyes and having a conversation. And what I found, I've, I found that to be true that, you know, I've had deeper, more real, more vulnerable, um, better conversations very often with men when we're sort of out moving, walking side by side, and we're not just sitting there looking at each other's faces. And I think it's, it's a bit disarming and it just allows you to be a little bit more comfortable. Mm, Yes. You know, that's, that's why so many men love to golf. It's like, you're doing something while you're solving some really big things. My father-in-law, um, uh, is with the army corps of engineers and the, he's like, if there's anything that we have to solve, literally, I'm like, let's go to the golf course. Let's move. Let's talk huh. because it's just natural conversation comes that way and problem solving. And that is like side by side, you know, they're, fo- they're kind of distracted by something yeah, while totally. feeling like they can really open up and just say what's on their mind. So that's, it was really interesting hearing the different, um, conversations from him. And that's so true. But 
But you know what I've been finding about you, because I've been listening to your podcast and your book, is that you are so beautifully vulnerable while while still being so strong and really holding space. So what has vulnerability done for your life? What is the gift that you think it has given you? Oh, man, it's um, connection, mm. you know, connection. Um, and it's funny because I've, I've probably been more comfortable being in that space for a long time, but I think it was probably, I mean, Brene Brown obviously is known as, mm-hmm. you know, sort of a, a huge champion of vulnerability, but I don't think I really got it until I read Daring Greatly and then, and then, um, I actually came to know Brene and then had a chance to sit down with her and have a conversation. And, you know, I, I don't think I really embodied or understood the fact that vulnerability is actually a a gateway to strength. Um, It's a gateway to connection Mm -hmm. and it's not a sign of weakness. And and so I've been kind of challenging myself to go there more. I don't, and it's interesting because you you mentioned it in the context of having conversations with people on the podcast and I feel like I... um, I try and go there more with people and, and probably, but probably more important to me is I, I really want to create a safe place, a safe container for those who I'm in conversation with to feel like they can go to that place. Mm-hmm. To me, that's, that's more important. But what I found is one of the most important things to do that is for me to be there with them. Mm. And, um, so I, th- I think there's sort of public vulnerability which I'm still really dancing with and trying to find where my comfort zone is. And then there's being vulnerable in private, you know, with those that you're closest to. And, you know, that's, that's, I think it's mission critical. How can you, I think it's very impossible, very difficult to build genuine, deep lasting relationships with people if you're not open to, revealing yourself to a certain extent. That's why there's, I mean, there's a chapter in the book um, about, I call it the 60 minute love bomb, which is based on these 36 questions that a researcher at Stony Brook University named Arthur Aaron developed. And his whole idea was, you know, he was like, can we actually come up with a set of questions that will put two strangers in front of each other in a room and over a period of 45 minutes, they'll each ask and answer these questions to each other. And at the end of that, they will have created a level of intimacy and friendship that is pretty deep. And they created these questions, and it was mind-blowing. The level of connection that happened between these people, something like, I can't remember the exact stat, but something like 40% said they felt closer to this person after 45 minutes than they did to sort of like their closest friends who they've known for years. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that was because the questions were developed very specifically to progressively move people from a place of sort of superficial, easy, to deepening levels of disclosure and vulnerability. Because what we know is vulnerability is really, it's the gateway to intimacy. Um, and without it, then you're, you know, you keep yourself safe, but you also keep yourself um, closed off to intimacy. And, and that's sad. That's, that's not, um, it's not a place we want to be. Oh. Okay, I can we do a whole other podcast on that? Um, <laughs> I know, right? There's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> said 25 questions come up around that. Um, but that's that's amazing. I'm so that's so funny that that was the last 
um, thing that I had on here that I really wanted to talk to you about. And I was like, I don't know if I'm gonna have enough time on that piece of the book. So I'm so glad you brought it up because to me, that was one of the most impactful because I know that people are craving deep soul connection. And I, so I, lived in the Midwest and now I'm living in LA. And the one thing that I know is that no matter what part of the country you are in, people want to connect deeply, but we keep going to these networking things, or we go to these workouts and we don't open up or we don't actually meet people, or we don't know the right questions to ask, to get beneath that surface layer in small talk. And for me, small talk is really, it can be super painful because, um, I'm, an introverted extrovert. I believe in your book, you talked about that too, but, um, I want to like deep dive. (laughs) I want to go to that place. I want to know that person. Otherwise I just don't know what else to talk about. I'm like very awkward. I'm like, what do I do with my hands? Why do I have these arms? They're so (laughs) obnoxious. Um, (laughs) but really that's, it's just the questions are beautiful and mind blowing. And it's just, of course you're going to connect when we're sharing so vulnerably, right? So I love that. So you guys, um, I want to make sure that everybody knows where they can follow you, where they can get your book and when could you share that with us? Yeah. So, I mean, you can find me at uh, goodlifeproject.com or on Instagram at either Jonathan Fields or goodlifeproject.com. And, and for the book, it's um, it's available everywhere, online, offline, retailers. And um, we also have, uh, if you want to know more information about it, or um, we have, a, you can go to goodlifeproject.com slash book. Mm, amazing. And you also have an event. Could you tell us where we could learn more on that? Um, you mean camp? Yes. Uh, yep. It'll be at, at goodlifeproject.com um, as well. We have an annual adult summer camp, which is just crazy amounts of fun and love and connection and play. Oh, well, I just want to say thank you so much for being on today. And thank you for everything that you're putting out into the world. I know for me, I am consuming it and loving it. It's life changing. So I just want to say thank you for stepping into your amazing brilliance and sharing with us. Uh, thanks so much. I so appreciate that. And thank you so much just for inviting me and for allowing me to share some time with you and your community. It's been, it's just been a real pleasure. Mm, it was my absolute honor. And you guys, if you loved this podcast as much as I did, make sure you share it with someone who needs it. And until next time, earn your happy. Bye everyone. Thank you guys so much for spending this time with me on the Earn Your Happy podcast. I am so glad that you stopped by. If you could take one second to share this episode with someone you think would love it, that would be absolutely amazing and we would be forever grateful. Also, please leave us a review if you feel so moved by going to iTunes and leaving us an honest thought, an honest comment. Tell us what you think. Tell us what you want to hear more of. It would really help us out on our journey to helping thousands and thousands of people. Until then, don't forget to earn your happy. Thanks again, guys. Bye-bye.